This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.54 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 15th of December, 2020. This is episode 340 of Bitcoin and my Twitter account got locked. Yippers, <laughs> from a tweet I made on July 17th, 2017, <laughs> more than three years ago. <laughs> Jesus, man. And check out what it was. They were pissed off for this one. At official McAfee, at Magura, did you just go full retard? Because this is how you go full retard. Dude, don't talk about eating your own dick on TV. I had to remove it. I I I don't even know. Like I wasn't threatening somebody's life. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the retard. I don't know, man. I I mean, as some of my tweets go, dude, this is mild. I mean, mild. But yes, I yeah, I I I cucked out, removed it, because that's my Twitter account's pretty much like you know one of the main ways that that I set up this show it's i use it as a tool and it's a it's a great tool so i had to remove it i just oh my god dude i don't even i don't i don't know man it's just it's it the whole thing's weird anyway so it's it's all good now but uh i want to get into this small thread from grubles or rather at not grubles Yeah, this was written yesterday. None of the larger exchanges have implemented Bitcoin layer two, you know, like lightning, liquid, nothing. After having complained about Bitcoin transaction fees for years, some haven't even implemented segregated witness. The main reason why, I believe, is to push people towards altcoins since exchanges, bread and butter are trading fees. So you complain about fees to push people to alts. Then once we have layer two, you drag your feet because that also pushes people towards alts. Blocking Bitcoin improvements is the altcoiner go-to move, whether it be large monopolistic mining hardware companies exploiting their position to make money from alts or its exchanges with no profit incentive. Uh, There's not much difference between what Bitmain was doing and what exchanges are doing today. It's functionally the same attack or whatever word you want to use to describe it. Why would Bitmain signal SegWit when they were making tons of money mining ETH while ETH bag holder influencers were concerned trolling about Bitcoin fees on Twitter. Why should exchanges implement Layer 2 when most of the same ETH influencers are concerned trolling about Bitcoin's capabilities? With Bitcoin Layer 2, these alts increasingly become irrelevant and that dries up the money fountain. <clears throat> I tend to agree with everything that, that Not Grubles just said. And this is one of the reasons why I don't I don't like the situation that exchanges find themselves in, right? <clears throat> when there was just a handful of, you know, alt, you know, altcoins, it was one thing. But now it's just this 
gulag casino type situation. And so, you know, what, what are exchanges, you know, here's the situation. What are exchanges to do? Honestly, I don't use exchanges. I don't, I don't need them. I have other on-ramps, but for, you know, for a, a little bit of time, uh, it was one of the, you know, easiest ways to get, get into, you know, getting some Bitcoin. But now, you know, we've got several different on-ramps. So that puts exchanges in a real precarious situation, which is probably good. I, I just, I, the Gulag Casino is never a good place to be. I don't recommend it. But they're going to, I mean, they've built their businesses around this shit, okay? So they're not going to go away, not without a fight. They can't delist all their all their crap because if even if they like let's take Kraken for example let's say they delist everything but Bitcoin, what do you trade against? I I mean I I guess you could like start a, an exchange that traded trades against commodities other you know Bitcoin and other commodities, stocks, bonds you know shit like that but honestly, that just sounds boring. <laughs> but going forward. You know, we, we are, you know, the Bitcoin ecosystem is developing into a uh, fairly, fun, you know, fairly fully robust and fully functional mode of transport for value communication across digital lines. That's all I'm saying. I know that on Sphinx Chat, I'm streaming, you know, I'm streaming sats per minute when I'm listening to the the podcasts that, that are on there. Uh, they're like Coin Icarus and uh, or Citizen Bitcoin. If you're not on, I haven't checked in the last couple of days. But Brady, dude, if you're listening to this, you got you got to pull the trigger if you can. Uh, one of the problems with the Sphinx Chat is spinning up a Lightning node uh, on their service. They're always out of Lightning nodes because everybody wants to get a Lightning node. So check back several times to see if you can scan, you know, uh, grab one of their lightning nodes and it makes the whole situation much easier and buys you some time to be able to uh, figure out how to hook up your own node. But again, with all that said, I'll plug Sphinx Chat. If you want to support this show and I would like you to support this show, you, the easiest way that you can do it is to listen to it on Sphinx Chat and stream me Satoshis while I stream you the dul- the dulcet sounds of my morning five five a.m. voice. Mm, yeah, no, seriously, the Sphinx Chat is a really cool application. It's one of the very first <clears throat> instances of streaming value in real time to somebody while they are streaming you their content. It's just gonna get it's just gonna explode from here. So you might as well get in on the ground floor, uh, either as a user or somebody who, if you have your podcast. See if you can get it on Sphinx Chat. Uh, that's sphinx.chat. Go to that website and you'll find out all about it. Now, uh, Magic Internet Gathering, the Mint Gox uh, e-gaming stuff. Um, they're saying, this was yesterday, they are say, announcing that gamers in uh, next Sunday's Mint Gox Asia will win a total of 5 million Satoshis from competing in the best of mobile and desktop games using Lightning Network. This special Asian edition of our monthly eSports tournament kicks off at 9 o'clock p.m. JST on December the 20th. That's 9 p.m. JST on December the 20th. So if you're a gamer, and uh, uh, you'll, you might want to check this one out. Now, 
on to the news. Channel jamming. Okay, this is an attack on the Lightning Network. It's it's a it's a potential attack, and it's just it's just there because of the structure of the Lightning Network. But Alexandra Moxon takes a deep dive into it from BTC Times and says, in May this year, Bitcoin Core contributor Gleb Nomenko and Antoine Riard proposed the use of fidelity bonds for LN routing to prevent channel jamming a type of denial of service attack that can, <clears throat> that can occur on the Lightning Network. <clears throat> Channel jamming first described in 2015 by Rusty Russell usually describes a scenario in which an attacker sends a payment to themselves through a series of routing nodes and then stops responding. However, channel jamming can also occur when a laggy receiver node does not complete a payment. As a consequence, the funds are locked in a routing channel until the payment times out, leaving them unavailable for other payments on the network. Uh, Previous proposals to prevent channel jamming require upfront fee payments and overly burdensome step for honest users. Nemenko and Riard seek to attack the issue from a different angle. I read about their proposal in the latest Bitcoin Optech newsletter and decided to reach out to Nakamento to find out more. So the first question up is, why did you write the proposal and what are you hoping to achieve with it? The answer comes as this, channel jamming is a general spam or denial of service problem. Usually this can be resolved by confirming you have a unique or scarce resource to gain access. For example, Twitter requires a user to have a mobile phone number or an email to sign up. In Bitcoin, we have to think of something more neutral, not linked to identity or controlled by some central authority. Bitcoin uses proof of work and mining to limit block production so that blocks are not created too quickly and the network does not grow too fast. On the Lightning Network, Proof of work wouldn't work as an attacker can acquire special hardware such as the miner, making it too expensive for a user to compete. With the upfront payment solution, which requires all users to pay a flat fee, restrictions would penalize honest users, and it wouldn't be 100% robust as a bad actor could just allocate capital to the attack. Honest users would have to pay the fee even if the payments fail, which is not optimal. (laughs) Yeah, you think? In our solution... As long as a user can verify UTXO ownership in a UTXO set, uh, but avoid pointing to a particular UTXO and is willing to stake an amount specified in the set, the channel will allow you to send a payment. For example, a user could state, quote, I will provide that I own one UTXO among all UTXOs between 0.5 BTC and 1 BTC, end quote. Second question. What are some of the scenarios in which channel jamming can occur? Is it primarily caused by a bad actor, or can it also be accidentally triggered if a user is not technically adept? The answer is this. Channel jamming is possible because the Lightning Network has limited permissive restrictions and routing nodes don't charge much for fees. Most people would first consider an active attacker, but this can also occur when nodes don't manage their capital or handle errors correctly, resulting in funds being accidentally locked in the channel. To jam a channel, a bad actor would need to lock just one payment in that routing channel for the attack to succeed. Someone might jump channels and even spend money on this if their aim is to gain an advantage over competitors. Additionally, you could compromise certain nodes, making routing only possible through the attacker's nodes in order to steal fees. In the future, when routing becomes an economic activity, we will want to actively consider this scenario. Third question, what is required for your proposal to be implemented? 
And do you see any barriers or technical changes that would prevent it from being adopted? The answer, the biggest challenge is the novel cryptography we need to employ. Revealing your coins is very simple. You just digitally sign as if signing a fake transaction, but it's going to be a privacy nightmare. So the idea is to make this possible using zero knowledge proofs. I proved that I own Bitcoin without revealing my UTXO, which unfortunately requires some advanced cryptographic knowledge. Even though I've seen Jonas Nick post a prototype of the code, I think the idea requires a lot of review and testing. We need to justify the effort and the additional complexity, which is pretty major. The next task will be to measure how expensive and difficult it is to perform a channel jamming attack, then apply the same model to the solution we propose. If we see it 10 times more expensive, then we should consider the effort. <clears throat> if our solution is implemented and it's a thousand times more expensive for an attacker, then it's probably a good solution and we should adopt it. If it's only twice as expensive, we shouldn't spend time on it and instead consider a different option. Uh, next question is, it sounds like further research is required. How would you estimate the magnitude of this proposal? Answer, the idea of proving Bitcoin ownership without revealing your UTXO has different applications. I can have a separate peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin network where blocks are much faster, but I only allow people who can supply proof of their own, uh, of proof they own some Bitcoin. It's not like we're making a new fe feature, but I think it's pretty big, although maybe not as sexy because we're just making things work. But maybe this will help us improve other parts of the system. <clears throat> Next question, what other improvements would you personally like to see in Bitcoin? The answer, I'm really interested in revisiting the ideas we consider to be too experimental a couple of years ago, like DLC, financial contracts, discrete log contracts are a second layer protocol for Lightning or Bitcoin, but they scale significantly over the Lightning network. DLC has all this Oracle fancy stuff that can, be a, that can enable real contracts beyond sending money and multisig. It unlocks the financial future we might need for Bitcoin, stocks, futures, and derivatives. A couple of years ago, we might have fought over this thinking it's too early, but maybe now it's time. The idea is mature and perhaps we're ready now. We also need more developers. We're seeing many new grants being announced and I hope this will give us more developers with fresh insight, more open-mindedness, and maybe suggestions to expand the network and improve its security. The last question, are you looking for additional help with your proposal and if so, what particular skills are you looking for in contributors? The answer is we're going to start by building an economic model for the existing problem without any solutions. We want to see what is the most efficient jamming an attacker can do and see what they can achieve for the smallest cost. If you're interested in academic research or modeling, reach out. Otherwise, just be curious, read the proposal and participate in the discussion on the Lightning Dev mailing list. So that's the end of that article. <clears throat> That's interesting. I wish they had gone into exactly what it means to have uh, these uh, fidelity bonds. I wish they had really expanded on that, but as it is, they didn't, and we need to move on. And indeed, like the previous article had suggested, Square is, is, uh, has more grants out. <clears throat> this one is about their 20th grant that will support Bitcoin design and user experience. This is written by Colin Harper on December the 14th for Coindesk.com. Uh, <clears throat> Portuguese software designer Patricia Estevio is Square Crypto's most recent grant recipient. 
Per her grant proposal, the UX designer will use the funding to research Bitcoin user experience, specifically why people use Bitcoin and what hurdles may obstruct their use. Quote, I'm thrilled that I'll finally be able to work on in-depth Bitcoin user research, and I'm even more excited that it will have a clear purpose of shaping future design decisions within the Bitcoin ecosystem. Estavio, <clears throat> Estavo, okay, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but that we'll go with Estavio, told Coindesk, I'm thankful to Square Crypto and its team for granting me this opportunity. Estavio has been working on Bitcoin-related design since 2016. One of her more recent and impactful projects is an in-depth paper she published for Lightning Network Design in November 2019. Once concluded, her research will find its way into the Bitcoin Design Guide, an open-source community project that includes UX, UI design notes for developers, businesses, or anyone building on Bitcoin. The grant is the latest in the deluge of funding that Square Crypto, the Bitcoin-focused arm of Jack Dorsey, Jack Dorsey Square, has poured into Bitcoin development over the past year. In addition to funding Bitcoin core developers, including John Attack and Lloyd Fournier, Square Crypto has also funded open-source software such as BTC Pay Server and Chris Belcher's CoinSwap design. Estavio's grant is the latest in Square Crypto's design grants, which are focused on improving user experience and user interfaces. Because the bleeding edge tech Square Crypto and other organizations are funding is only as good as its adoption curve. On the whole, 2020 has been a breakout year for Bitcoin developers and software designer grants. The Human Rights Foundation, Kraken, OKCoin, and others have given Bitcoin Core and other Bitcoin developers grants for their work. Historically a volunteer act, these grants have made Bitcoin development a full-time job for some. Building on a trend, that began with early Bitcoin development companies, including Blockstream, BitMEX, and Chaincode Lab. So there you go. Uh, grant number 20 in the bag. <clears throat> JP Morgan says more institutions could buy Bitcoin following Mass Mutual's $100 million purchase. Jordan Lanchev is writing this for Crypto Potato sometime yesterday. The American multinational investment bank J.P. Morgan Chase & Company believes that Bitcoin has grasped the attention of institutional investors and further purchases will follow. The giant bank highlighted the recent $100 million BTC buy from the insurance company Mass Mutual as a significant turning point. Of course, it was Mass Mutual, not like any of the other things that was the turning point. Of course, of course. The global events that transpired following the COVID-19 outbreak rattled world economies. Whether this is the primary reason or perhaps Bitcoin's maturation or the having or something entirely different, the fact is that numerous large companies, prominent investors and institutions began noticing and purchasing sizable amounts of BTC. One of the latest such market entrances came from the insurance giant, the Massachusetts Mutual Life Insurance Company, shortened to Mass Mutual. JPM outlined the significance of this purchase in its latest report cited by Bloomberg. The bank strategist asserted that Mass Mutual's endorsement of BTC suggests adoption of Bitcoin is spreading from family offices and wealthy investors to insurance firms and pension funds. Although the paper believes that it's unlikely for insurance firms and pension funds to ever make high allocations, in quotes, <clears throat> it admitted that even small purchases could result in substantial market moves for the cryptocurrency. JPM's document continued with examining the potential impact on Bitcoin should pension funds and insurance companies indeed proceed with allocating funds in the asset. The analyst said 
that even a relatively small purchase of 1% from firms such as the United States, Europe, UK, and Japan would result in additional Bitcoin demand of $600 billion. That's billion with a B. That would take us to almost just under $1 trillion in market cap when you think about it. Do the math in your head. We're at like, what, 350 right now? Hold on. Let me, let me, let me look at something. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Market cap right now, 358, uh, $358 million. So add another 600 on top of that. And you're at $958 billion, $958 billion. So you're just a stone's throw away from a trillion dollar market cap at that point. That could happen really fast, by the way, just, just saying. Uh, Bitcoin analyst envisioned a market cap of $1 trillion next year and a price of 50000 per coin. Kraken's Dan Held seemed even more confident, saying that even 288000 is not out of the question. Right, cool your jets, guys. <clears throat> I'm not poo-pooing on the whole idea, but, I mean, there's no reason to get all out of whack because somebody's saying a quarter million dollars a coin, and if you've got one coin laying it down, then you're going to be able to, I don't know, do something stupid like buy your Lambo. Don't do that, okay? You have any idea what it costs to upkeep a Lamborghini once you've got it? All right? I mean, this is, I mean, these are, these are not like, these cars are terrible cars. They're fun. They look cool. Yeah, you're going to get laid. But dude, honestly, when you have to change the timing chains out from what I've been told, uh, I think it was Stony Bitson was saying that the timing chains are $40,000. Just, just for the chains to put them on. <laughs> Do you really want to get into that? Do you have any idea what tires cost for this thing? It's a stupid purchase. But this also may be a stupid purchase. I'm not sure yet. Banca Generali buys $14 million stake in Bitcoin wallet CoinIO or CONIO, C-O-N-I-O. Liam Frost is going to tell us about it from Decrypt. He's writing that this morning. Banca Generali an Italian bank focused on private banking and wealth management for high net worth individuals has acquired a $14 million stake in Bitcoin wallet provider coin, coin, Conio, according to a press release shared with Decrypt. Quote, under this partnership agreement, Banca Generale will acquire a stake in Conio Incorporated to support the company's growth and the distribution of its product as part of the bank's range of digital services offered to its customers, the bank said. The bank also noted that over 150,000 Italian customers currently have cryptocurrency portfolios at Conio. Quote, this is an important industrial partnership in light of both the value of the available technology and the manager's quality. We know that the future structure of financial markets can certainly be influenced by conditioned and conditioned by blockchain technology, which continues to make headway above all in cryptocurrencies, but also in many other areas, said Gian Maria Mossa, CEO and general manager of Banca Generali. This partnership agreement should help the bank to expand the range of services it can offer to its customers, Mossa added, and to continue developing its open platform, leveraging the best innovation arising from international best practices. Oh boy, put a tie on that suit speak. Quote, this agreement with Banca Generali is a significant step towards a new era for the whole financial system, said Christian Micoli, co-CEO of Conio, adding, quote, with this transaction, Banca Generali is positioning Italy as a leading country in Europe in the race towards development of these new technologies, end quote. As Decrypt reported, Hype, an Italian challenger bank with 3 million customers, 
integrated Kanio's wallet features in March, allowing its customers to buy, sell, and transfer Bitcoin. Banks feel threatened by cryptocurrencies and, like all big organizations, have a natural tendency to resist change, but this time, innovation is impossible to stop. It is akin to trying to stop the wind with your hands, Christian Micoli, co-founder of Coin Kanio, told Decrypt at the time, considering that Bitcoin is reportedly the third most used method of online payments in Italy today, it looks like the innovation is here to stay. Well, okay. I don't know, man. A bank buying a uh, buying into a wallet wallet service provider kind of scares the piss out of me. AM, you know, AML, KYC and all that. Just keep that shit in mind, okay? While this is good news, keep it in mind. I would rather banks not be into the wallet thing. But you know they're going to. This is not going to stop. So just, you know, keep it in mind. Uh, here we go again. Mount Gox trustee files draft rehabilitation plan. Uh, what is this, the third one? <laughs> Maybe it's the seventh. I don't know. Helen Parts is going to tell us about it. She's writing this for Cointelegraph. On December the 15th, Mount Gox trustee Nobuyaki Kobayashi filed a draft rehabilitation plan to refund Mt. Gox users. According to an official announcement posted on Mt. Gox website, the Tokyo District Court and an examiner will review the draft rehabilitation plan and determine whether to proceed with the rehabilitation proceedings as part of the draft rehabilitation plan. The move comes shortly after Kobayashi received another approval to extend the deadline for submitting a rehab plan in October of 2020. As reported, the Tokyo District Court extended the deadline until the 15th of December, which is today. Kobayashi previously obtained a number of similar deadline extensions in March 2020 and April 2019. Launched in 2010, Mt. Gox suffered the largest cryptocurrency hack in history. As reported, the exchange lost a total of 1.35 million Bitcoin in two hacks in 2011 and 2014. Mt. Gox customers have still not received compensation for their stolen funds. Kobayashi, a Japanese lawyer who was appointed to oversee the civil reimbursement process, reportedly has 150,000 BTC to repay users. However, the funds have been postponed multiple times. Defunct Japanese cryptocurrency exchange Mt. Gox is finally moving forward with, with its user rehabilitation plan after face, facing major hacks in 11 and 2014. Some other defunct crypto exchanges have also been moving forward with reimbursement plans. Recently, uh, the liquidator of now defunct cryptocurrency exchange Cryptopia started the claims process to reimburse creditors following a 2019 hack. Will it go forward this time? I don't know, man. The last time it was stalled, it was because some asshole was suing them. I don't know. I, I you know, I hope everybody gets their their coins back, but you know, it's that's. The, this was the first lesson of not your keys, not your coins. As far as I can tell, it was the very first lesson. If it wasn't the first lesson, it was certainly the first uh, best, you know, most visible lesson that we could have gotten for that. So you know, if you're a Mt. Gox holder, maybe you'll be, you know, maybe you'll get some of your Bitcoin back. But I mean... 1.35 million coins were hacked, and he's only got 150,000 to distribute. Do the math. Yeah, you took a bath on that shit, man. Okay, Coinstar is expanding CoinMe Bitcoin ATM fleet to 5,000. Now, if you haven't no noticed, uh, next time you go into a grocery store or somewhere that a uh, Coinstar machine is, look to see if it's got the Bitcoin symbol on it, because a lot of them do. 
I live in a very small town and our local grocery store has a Coinstar machine in it. And yes, you can buy Bitcoin directly from it. It's bizarre that it's here, but hey, it's it's here. This was written by Danny Nelson yesterday for Coindesk. Supermarket kiosk company Coinstar has added CoinMe Bitcoin ATM functionality to 5,000 chain sorting machines all across the United States. The service is now available in nearly 25% of Coinstar's total kiosk fleet and in 40 U.S. states, according to figures provided by Neil Berquist, chief executive of CoinMe. Coinstar change counting machines are located in supermarkets, gas stations, and convenience stores. Quote, there's a Coinstar kiosk located within five miles of 90% of the American population, so the collective opportunity here is to be able to give the majority of the United States population access to digital currencies. Over the last year in particular, CoinMe has made inroads in some of the farthest-flung United States locales. It was admitted to Hawaii's digital currency sandbox in August, along with 11 other cryptocurrency exchanges. Berkowitz said CoinMe is the only participant to offer cash to crypto services. Also, in the recent CoinMe slash Coinstar expansion, Georgia, Nevada, New Mexico, Ohio, Oregon, Maryland, West Virginia, Delaware, and Rhode Island, Berkowitz said locations have grown 65% since March. The fast-growing kiosk network has allowed CoinMe transaction volume to soar. Uh, Bitcoin sales are up 650% year-over-year. Berkowitz predicts yet higher numbers as more states give CoinMe the go-ahead to launch operations. So that's actually kind of surprising, because what I don't normally see is people buying Bitcoin through Coinstar. I have never bought Bitcoin through Coinstar. I guess I should give it a shot just to see what the uh, uh, if there's an AML KYC component because generally speaking, I can just walk up to a Coinstar, dump change in the son of a bitch, and it spits out a ticket, uh, and then I take that ticket up to the counter. They give me like a twenty dollar bill or whatever, and no, there's no KYC AML. So it, I think this may be a good thing to know. If I instead, if I dump all my change but opt to buy Bitcoin with it and buy like 50 bucks, because you can dump 50 bucks worth of change real easy in one of these machines. Uh, will I have to KYC myself? I don't know. I've never tried it. If, if anybody out there has bought Bitcoin through the Coinstar uh, network, let me know. Let me know if there's KYC involved. That would be interesting to find out. Anyway, let's, let's run the numbers. We're all saved, or at least as far as the futures and commodities are concerned. I see a whole bunch of shit up in the green, except for, well, as usual, natural gas. I don't know what that's about, but be that as it may, West Texas Intermediate is up half a point to $47.26 a barrel. Brent Norsey has finally gone over 50 bucks. So at $50.54, it is up a half a point. Natural gas is down one and a half points. Uh, gold is up almost a percent, full percent point. It's going to come in at $1,848. Silver is up a point and a quarter. Platinum is up a point. Copper is up negligibly. And platinum, or sorry, pal- palladium is up a half a point. Well, let's see what indexes are doing. Oh, yay, we're all saved again. Dow Futures is up 0.67. S&P futures up 0.76, uh, NASDAQ futures up 0.62, uh, 
S&P mini is up 0.6. So eh, I guess those are big moves. I don't, I don't know. It, they, they sound pretty cheesy and wimpy to me, but real money has a different story. $19,331.38 for Bitcoin. Uh, let's see where my low is. My low is going to be over at Coinbase Pro. Oh, no, no, it just, damn, it just ticked over. GDAX is now the low, $19,309. My high is going to be over at, oh, good God, what is it? Uh, it's going to be over, I guess, at Bit Asset at $19,335. So there's almost no wiggle room here. 326,876 transactions are performed in the last 24 hours. That's about 13,600 transactions on average every hour. 2.5 million BTC has been sent in that 24-hour period. And just so you know, that's $48 billion. We have 103,815 BTC being sent every hour on the hour. That's $2 billion every hour. The transaction value on average is 7.62 BTC or $141,000 USD. And the median transaction value is 0.031 BTC or about 600 bucks. Block times are 10 minutes and four seconds. 0.4 BTC have been taken in fees on a per block basis and 63.7 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a almost 7% dip in hash rate. We are down to 135.8 exahashes per second. Dogecoin eh, kind of recovered 0.0032 USD. 40,500 transactions in the last 24 hours puts it on top of Ethereum Classic and Bcash as usual. And for those of you who want to know, Litecoin is at $82. Let that sink in. Dude, why? Why? Okay, Clark, take me away. Uh, Clark is looking at a price of $19,368. <clears throat> we have 20,000 transactions that are going to have to slip into 11 blocks to clear. We have, oh, oh, yay. We can now, we can now buy 10.5 ounces of gold with one Bitcoin. And we have uh, recaptured the gold market cap. We are now at 3.01%. And as I mentioned earlier, market capitalization for Bitcoin as a total looks like it's $359.7 billion. 1,081 BTC are in the Lightning Network, and that gives us about $20.9 million worth of capacity. We have 7,939 total nodes. We have 36,415 channels. Percentage of Tor capacity rocketing up 52.2% with 564.6 BTC on the Tor side of the Lightning Network. Number of Tor nodes is 2,750. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the snooze you can use, Pornhub. Next on deck, Pornhub is now accepting only crypto. Well, because that's apparently the only money Pornhub can now accept. Uh, Pornhub has been embroiled over the last few days in some very serious issues. Very, very serious issues that's affecting not only the company itself, but all of the, oh, uh, let's see, all the performers 
are also being affected. So it's it's sending shockwaves through the entire online pornography industry. Um, why why do I care? I, like if yeah, I, I know it's it's one of those things where it's like, dude, porn bad. Well, porn exists, and by the way, porn is probably one of the larger industries in the world. Porn has also been around for a long, long time, and prostitution has been around even longer. So the thing about it is, is that you can point fingers and laugh at something, but something this large, it's going to affect shit. It just is. So after Visa and MasterCard gave it the boot, Pornhub said today it was accepting crypto only for its premium service. Uh, Jason Nelson is going to finish this off for Decrypt.co. Let's see here. It appears that Pornhub, the world's largest adult website, is now accepting only crypto for its premium service. The move was noticed on the site today after Visa and MasterCard cut off payments to the website last week. The big credit card companies cut off the Canada-based porn platform after a New York Times article detailed instances of the website permitting uploads of videos depicting minors having sex and women being assaulted. Visa and MasterCard's decision is the latest and most impactful instance of a payment processor blocking funds to Pornhub or its performers. In November of 2019, PayPal began blocking payments to Pornhub performers. Soon after, Pornhub began accepting The Verge, oh God, Tron, and Tether. Now they also accept Bitcoin, Bcash, Dash, Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, Monero, NIM, Tether, Tron, Verge, Zcash, and Waves. Holy shit, you might as well just turn into a an exchange at this point. Pornhub traffic saw a considerable increase since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. Traffic reached 3.6 billion in August of 2020. According to the tracking website, similarweb.com, Pornhub did not respond for comment. Quote, it's unfortunate that Visa and MasterCard are playing these sort of legal games to hold Pornhub accountable, said Ali Eve Knox an adult performer and cryptocurrency veteran who noted, however, that it was no secret that the platform was operating in a dubious way. Quote, performers have for a long time been saying that Pornhub needs to be held accountable and follow the law. Well, yeah. Uh, Nonetheless, she said that the move by the big credit card companies would hurt more than Pornhub. If performers are not able to take Visa and MasterCard, performers are not making their money, which is problematic because a lot of people use it as their main income source. She added, quote, It hurts the content creators because that is where the money was going. Pornhub's business likely depends heavily on advertising revenue, which won't be impacted by the move by the credit card companies. Well, not right yet. Anyway, founded in 2005, Pornhub.com is a subsidiary of Luxembourg-based MindGeek, an IT platform for streaming entertainment companies. In a blog post published on the heels of the New York Times story last week, Pornhub announced a series of changes to clean up its site, including only allowing uploads from verified content creators, banning downloads, and expanding moderation on the site. That's not going to do much. In another post, however, the adult entertainment provider, Pornhub that is, said it's being unfairly picked on for being a porn site. It is clear that Pornhub is being targeted not because of our policies uh, and how we compare to our peers, uh, but because we are an adult content platform. The post went on to say, quote, these are the same forces that have spent 50 years demonizing Playboy, the National Endowment for the Arts, sex education, LGBTQ rights, women rights, and even the American Library Association. Today, it happens to Pornhub. I don't know, man. If you've got minors on your site, you're going to get in trouble, dude. I, I mean, honestly, what do you expect? Shit, it's 
dipshits. Crypto users split on taking out loans to buy Bitcoin dips. Okay. <clears throat> now, we saw Michael Saylor do this. When Michael Saylor does it, it okay, look, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, I'm not going to make an argument that Michael Saylor can do it and you can't. Or that Michael Saylor should do it and you shouldn't. That's not the argument. I'm saying that Michael Saylor, when, when he drops $650 of senior notes, he's doing it because he can back that shit up lickety split. He knows what his income is. Right? They've been doing this for 30, 35 years. They know exactly how much money they're going to make next year, the year after that, the year after that, and the year after that. Unless a meteorite blows their building away, they're going to be able to service that debt. When you take out a credit card at 7.5% to buy Bitcoin, it's a different deal than when you're getting a loan for 0.75, all right? Because that's what the loan, the, the loan technicality is for Michael Saylor's purchase, right? Those senior notes are going to net whoever it is that put the money into it 0.75% interest. That's it. Like I said the other day, I mean, they're chasing people in the, in large money holders are literally looking for any opportunity to get sub 1% return on their investment. Dude, that's sad all by itself, but let, let's get into this one. Taking on debt is a complex personal decision that should not be entered into without great care and financial consideration. With Bitcoin's recent return to all-time price highs, some moonstruck Bitcoiners have begun taking out bank loans to increase their position on the asset, while this may seem like a short road to riches for some, others view such financial moves as foolish. I do, given the inherent volatility in the space. In a Friday tweet from Peter McCormick, uh, he had, he said he had purchased 2.55 Bitcoin using a $46,000 or yeah, $46,000 loan with the expectations that he would have to pay back more than $57,000 within six years. Quote, in December 2026, if Bitcoin is at 22,669.35, I break even, said McCormick. I wanted to borrow a lot more. My cash flow can easily support the $800 monthly repayment, but this was the limit I could do with my bank after thinking about the idea for a couple of minutes. McCormick is a high-profile figure in the crypto space and has said that he can afford to lose the money from the Bitcoin investment, though currently... He currently earns income from his podcast. His portfolio also took a hit in 2018 during the market downturn. At the time, he tweeted that he had turned $32,000 into $1.2 million and back to pretty much zero. End quote. <laughs> Vitalik Buterin has come down hard against such loans. The Ethereum co-founder revealed in a tweet that he sold half his BTC holdings in 2013 when he had only a few thousand dollars of net worth rather than taking out a bank loan to buy more crypto. And then he gives this Vitalik Buterin tweet, which says, please don't do things like this. I would never recommend anyone take out a personal loan to buy ETH or other Ethereum assets. And he actually has a screenshot of Peter McCormick's uh, tweet thread uh, talking about it. And McCormick actually came back and said, dude, you don't have to blank out my name. This was me. I did this. You know, uh, so that's where we found out that this was actually Peter. In, in either event, uh, crypto enthusiasts in, a, in the wild appear to have split views when it comes to non-wealthy investors taking on bank loans solely, solely to scoop up on more crypto. One Redditor who claimed to have taken out a loan in late September when Bitcoin price was under $11,000 said yesterday that they were borrowing more now that the price is more than $19,000. 
Taking debt to buy at 11K was a good move, said Reddit user Young Split. In response to the investment, be extremely cautious about using it to buy in right now. And once we go higher, your optimism could easily get you destroyed if you were to take on debt and buy in at a local peak. What you did was gamble and you got lucky, said Redditor Grimefly. Okay. Because you got lucky, you think you hacked it, and you done it right. This psychology will burn you before long. Anyone thinking you can smartly invest someone else's money is an idiot. End quote. Cointelegraph reported in June that a flight attendant based in the United Arab Emirates risked jail time and massive debt after he was unable to pay back $100,000 loan with the Emirates Islamic Bank at the time of publication the price of Bitcoin is $19,177, having risen 20% in the last month alone. Yeah. <clears throat> like I said, when you're playing with billions of dollars and you have hundreds of millions of dollars in liquidity laying around, uh, yeah, sure, I guess. I mean, debt's cheap right now. But I wouldn't I wouldn't do a credit card and... Uh, and if you go to a bank and you tell them what it is you're planning on doing, and if you tell the truth, they're going to they're gonna tell you to F right off out the door. They're not going to have anything to do with you. And you will probably never get a loan for anything else at that bank ever again. I'm just saying, they're, they, they can sniff out stupid. I don't think this shit's smart. At the retail level, a speculative attack is probably not the best idea. However, it will be fun to see what happens if, Everybody and their dog doesn't listen to my advice and goes out and take out loans and buys a shitload of Bitcoin and find out, you know, it's like F around and find out what happens as the fiat speculative attack takes place at the retail level. That would really be interesting. But moving on, Bitcoin loving Senator hires crypto cowboy as Wyoming policy director. Cynthia Lummis and Tyler Lindholm woohoo, are bringing Bitcoin to Washington. So Tyler... Uh, got, he did not get reelected to his post in Wyoming, but Tyler, as we see now, rides again. Cynthia Lummis, the incoming Republican senator who will bring Bitcoin to the U.S. Congress, has hired Tyler Lindholm, Wyoming's crypto cowboy, as the state policy director of Wyoming. Lindholm, who is also chief of ranching operations at Beef Chain, a food chain supply company that promises blockchain verified beef and sheep, will begin his new job on January 3rd, 2021, a little under two weeks before President-elect Joe Biden's inauguration. Lindholm, formerly Wyoming state representative and co-chair of the Wyoming Blockchain Task Force, passed several pro-crypto pieces of legislation to encourage crypto businesses to the state, uh, among them Utility Token Act and Digital Assets Existing Bill. Such legislation has helped the state attract big blockchain businesses, Kraken Financial, the banking arm of crypto exchange Kraken, won a license from Wyoming to set up the nation's first crypto bank. IOHK, the creators of Cardano, opened a blockchain lab at the University of Wyoming. Lindholm will operate under the auspices of Loomis, or Lummis, Wyoming's first female United States senator. Lummis is a big fan of Bitcoin and considers it a great store of value. She first invested in the crypto asset back in 2013, when Bitcoin was worth just over $300, Lummis, a native of Wyoming and an alumnus of the state's university, told podcaster Peter McCormick in a podcast published today and recorded on December the 1st, quote, I really want to use my time in the United States Senate in part to help introduce the topic of Bitcoin, increasing the understanding in the Senate about Bitcoin, end quote. <clears throat> 
What is it? What does it do? <clears throat> how, it, how it can be an asset that can grow and develop as an adjunct or basically alongside fiat currency. Bitcoin said, Bitcoin said the conservative senator, feels like an American idea. In her campaign for Senator Lummis pushed for an American first policy. Bitcoin can function alongside a fiat currency and adjunct store of value. In fact, a better store of value than a fiat currency, she told McCormick. If anything, Bitcoin could do an even better job than the meddling Fed, she sniffed. <laughs> in the case of U.S. currency inflation, uh, in the case of U.S. currency, inflation is backed in, baked into the Federal Reserve's plan for the United States dollar. So it's no wonder that our buying power is eroded, she said, among, <clears throat> or among other things on Loomis's to-do list during her time in the Senate includes building a wall on the southern border of the United States, defending the Second Amendment and stopping the socialist agenda. Her new commander-in-chief may not approve. <laughs> no, her new commander-in-chief is not going to approve. However, brings up the idea. If a whole bunch of Bitcoiners get into the United States Senate and House of Representatives and literally eschew everything else but Bitcoin and Bitcoin education, what would happen? Just think about that. Let's say like a new Senate, like, you know, AOC's a freshman, you know, she was a freshman uh, rep when she first got elected a couple of years ago and she got reelected again. I don't know how after she scuttled that deal with Amazon for Long Island. I, I, st I still don't, I, I don't get it. People are really pissed off about that. But when she was a freshman, you know, rep, she was inundated with all manner of shit, you know, that, that like stuff that she probably didn't give a shit about. And this happens all the time. You get in and you think you're going to change the world. And the next thing that happens, you get a stack of shit put on your desk and you, and, and it deals with, with the same old business. Well, what happens if a whole bunch of Bitcoiners get in there and they take that stack, pick it up, walk it to the window and throw it the fuck out and say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not concerning myself with anything, but fixing the money. We fix the money and all these other problems go away. We're not going to attack the symptoms. We're going to attack the disease. If you have any notions whatsoever about running for Congress or something like that, if you were to do it with that in mind, wow. And when? Well, that would be interesting. Here's something that is not all that interesting, but it's important. You Ukraine oligarch's troubled U.S. steel plant has been mining Bitcoin. This was written yesterday for Coindesk by Anna Betakova and says a supposedly shuttered U.S. steel plant owned by Ukrainian billionaire Ihor Kolomosky is said to have been mining Bitcoin. Kolomosky, one of the most influential people in Ukraine with net worth of $1.1 billion, is the former owner of Privet Bank a major privately owned bank in the country. He is also governor of the Dovstrok region until 2015. Yeah, I'm not going to pronounce that. Right, know that. His Calvert City, Kentucky-based CC Metals and Alloy Steel Plant has been hit by the coronavirus pandemic, and corruption allegations against Kolominsky were filed by the United States Department of Justice. The facility closed and let staff go this summer, but every few months it reignited the furnaces and urged the workers to return, Radio Liberty reported on Monday. The only activity continuing at the plant is the production of Bitcoin, employees told multimedia broadcaster. The sources said one of the warehouses is filled with mining equipment, though it's not clear how many devices are on site and of what type or brand. 
uh, Kolomiski and his partner Gennady blah 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 bought the plant in 2011 for 188 million dollars as part of a plan to build their metal business in the United States. States which grew to seven plants across five states. The holding firm Optima Specialty Steel filed for bankruptcy in 2016, and ownership of the plant passed to another firm, Georgian American Alloys, of which Kolomiski and blah 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 are beneficiaries. According to a court document, oh God, that sounds that sounds shady as shit right there, man. Further adding to their woes, the U.S. Department of Justice this year accused Kolomiski and Bulovov of buying real estate and businesses in the United States for money misappropriated from Privet Bank from 2008, 2008 to 2016. The DOJ alleges that the partners had obtained fraudulent loans and lines of credit from the bank before it was nationalized by the National Bank of Ukraine in 2016. Quote, they created a web of entities, usually under some variation of the name Optima, to further launder the misappropriated funds and invest them, the DOJ said. <laughs> God. Okay, well, you know, at least they're mining Bitcoin. It just goes to show, hey, if your primary business is failing and you can have access and you got access to large amounts of power, at good prices, you can always mine Bitcoin. I mean, you want to do. And the final one for the day is PayPal stock surging 17% since enabling Bitcoin purchases. Sam Borgi is going to write this one for Cointelegraph sometime late last night. PayPal stock reached record highs on Monday, capping off a strong period of outperformance relative to the NASDAQ and broader U.S. stock markets since November of, since November the 12th. The technology-focused NASDAQ had gained around 6.5%. The broad S&P 500 index of large-cap stocks is up 3.5% over the same period. Although PayPal's foray into crypto isn't the only catalyst behind its vast outperformance, the merchant processor is well-positioned to capitalize on a growing adoption of digital assets. Some analysts have even speculated that a higher Bitcoin price could have a positive effect on PayPal's prospects. Oh, gee, I wonder why. There is also evidence that the payment processor may be positively influencing Bitcoin's price. Recent, recent industry data suggests PayPal may have scooped up as much as 70% of the newly mined BTC in the weeks leading up to its crypto platform going live in the United States, although estimates vary. A 2019 survey of 5,000 people claimed that 6.2% of Americans above the age of 18 own Bitcoin. The survey said an additional 7.3% are planning to purchase uh, Bitcoin for the very first time. If these numbers are to be believed, cryptocurrencies could have a positive impact on PayPal's business as more people gravitate to easy on-ramps. Case in point, Square's Cash App has seen its revenue surge since enabling Bitcoin purchases. In fact, nearly 80% of Cash App's third quarter revenues were derived from fees charged to Bitcoin buyers. Shares of PayPal holdings have gained 17% since November 12th, which is the day the online merchant launched its crypto trading platform for eligible U.S. customers. PayPal plans to launch its global crypto services in early 2021. CEO Dan Schulman asserted that it's only a matter of time before his company starts supporting central bank digital currencies as they become available. All right, so there it is. Even PayPal is benefiting from the Bitcoin effect. Um, Case in point, or, or, or a point to note, <clears throat> um, remember that the U.S. Treasury, before getting hacked, was on the verge of telling us about how we weren't going to be able to hold our private keys. 
I think that needs to be pretty much like uh, when you think of like the oh what is it the the Battle of Thermopylae the you know the the Spartans and the three hundred that were you know defending against like a a million man army or something like that that is that needs to be the like the the fact of holding private keys needs to be the most defensible position or not the most it needs to be the most defended position how defensible it is i don't know i think it's actually fairly defensible because i'm not going to turn over my private keys as far as anybody's concerned i lost all my private keys in a tragic boating accident somewhere on a lake in the mountains you cannot prove that i own something that you can't get you cannot prove a negative so all that said as we get on ramps that are easy on ramps, they're going to be easy because they're going to be KYC'd. It's going to be the hard on ramps that we have to defend, and it has to be the holding of private keys that we have to defend. If we can hold those two points, well, then we got a real shot in the game. We got a, we got a shot to change the world. If we can't hold those points, then I fear the worst. So those are the points that you need to hold. Any way, shape, form, fashion, or feat that you can perform to hold those points in defense is going to be the most important thing for Bitcoin moving forward. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by Singles Dow uh, at S N G L S D A O, who says yesterday, we would like to take this opportunity to inform our community that no further development is happening via the S N G L S Dow or on Singles Media Distribution Protocol. Thanks for your engagement and support, but it's time to say goodbye. So long and thanks for all the fish. Got your ass handed to you, bro, because it gets worse. Um, that was brought to my attention by Lefteris Carapastis or something like that that says, and, and, and this person is retweeting the singles Dow tweet. After $7.5 million raised, more than four years of development and a ton of promises, that's what Singularis Dow created. Quote, so long and thanks for all the fish. I'm telling you, man, exit scams are everywhere. They're going to remain. They're probably going to get worse. They're never going to end. I'm just, dude, stay away from this shit. It's going to get you, it's going to get you hosed. Anyway, so there's that one. Um, Joke of the day, uh, dear optimist, pessimist, and realist, while you were arguing about the glass of water, I drank it. The opportunist. There you have it. Episode 340 in the bag. If you want to support the show, please go to uh, sphinx.chat. Grab yourself a lightning node. Get hooked up. Join my tribe. Stream me some sats. I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.